Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. are starting a, um, a new series, and uh, we wrapped up our series called um, Reimagine. If you missed it, it was an all-time high, uh, and that whole concept of being able to reimagine what life could be, and we talked about reimagining um, prayer, reimagining ourselves, reimagining um, uh, salvation, no, evangelism. We talked about re- the, uh, what does that mean to evangelize, um, and you can find all our messages um, I had someone tell me, like, hey, you know, like, I fall asleep to your messages every night. And I started, th- I'm like, every night they're listening to my voice. I mean, for someone who doesn't mind slapping their own back, that kind of, you know, made my ego go up just a little bit. So um, if you want to fall asleep to my voice every night, you're welcome to, all right? <laughs> I apologize in advance. But our series that we're starting is called Life Giving, which is funny to name a, a series after a word that we use all the time here. Um, but it came out of this is that um, downstairs uh, in my bathroom, um, I have a little thing that says uh, number one dad, which I, it's cheesy, but I love it. It just makes me feel really, really happy. And as I'm brushing my teeth, I'm getting ready for the day, I'm thinking about um, how I want work to be, how I want my profession to be. I think about how I want to um, enjoy or be aware of my body. I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about my partner. I'm thinking about my money. I'm thinking about my spirituality and how I want all these things to go. And of course, when I'm thinking, I'm dreaming about it, I want it to all go great. I want to kill it, right? I want to, I want to love my body. I want to enjoy it. I want to have a lot of money. I want to have great friends. I want to have a thriving relationship with my partner. And I, <laughs> I have a little sign that says, life-giving results come from life-giving decisions. And it reminded me, if I really want those good and beautiful things, I have to like, do the work to get them. Because sometimes if I want to enjoy my body, I want to be as healthy as I can, then I probably can't eat a couple 13, 14 Jack's pizzas, right? I have to, if I want to be um, generous with my money, that means I might have to like, actually like, think about what I want to spend and what I really need. If I want to have a great relationship with my partner, I'm going to have to do the work to be someone that she actually wants to be with. And th- it's like the American dream, right? We want all the benefit with none of the work. We want to show up and someone gives us money, someone gives us a medal. I, need, I wouldn't mind more medals in my life. We want like accolades. And the reality is that we have to be willing to do the hard work if we want life-giving things. So we're, and lucky for us, the person of Jesus talks a lot, a lot through story, a lot through um, parables of um, exposing is it, what is it that you really want and what's driving you to it and what are you willing to try to move it? So where we're starting today is uh, your favorite chapter in Matthew, Matthew uh, 18. And there's five times in Matthew that Jesus goes like on this rant where he tells like a bunch of different stories. um, And it appears like it can be going all over the place, but it's all coming under like um, one big idea. And he tells it in a very Jesus way in multiple ways of viewing it. And where he starts is he gets this question. And the question is, um, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in this kingdom of God? 
Kingdom of God is the central theme of um, the Christ ministry. Kingdom of God was not anything new to these people. They would have been talking about it, dreaming about it, singing about it. But it was always, if X, Y, and Z happens in the future, then this kingdom is here. Jesus shows up and says the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus shows up and says that it's like right here. It's within you. It's all around you. You can move in it. And he says that the way that you ordered this world is great. But in the kingdom of God, there's this reordering of what it means to be human. But the reason I like this question is, don't we all do this? I mean, maybe I'm a three on the Enneagram. I don't know if anyone else here is a three, but like part of my drive, and this is probably like more of my shadow size, I'll walk into a room and I'll size it up, right? I'm like, okay, who's movers and shakers? What, is, what are people eating? What are they laughing about? Because I want to appear to be as successful as humanly possible at all times, right? And so the, 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 in the Bible, in the very first question is very human, which I like. So how do, like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? They're trying to size up. There's times where um, one of the disciples' mom's trying to promote her, her boys. Hey, Jesus, give them a, a better spot at this table. Because who doesn't want to be as close as possible in the kingdom of God? You want to be successful. But here's the thing. The way that, uh, that we think success, what we think is strong, Jesus flips it on its head. Because the way he answers, so who's the greatest? All of Matthew 18 is, framing that, is answering that question. He goes, well, who's the greatest? Well, it's these kids. You have to have a Christ or a kid-like, um, you have to enter into the, kingdom, get in the, into the kingdom of heaven like a kid. And we hear that, and um, I've heard a lot of messages, and there's nothing wrong with it. To take it literally and like make it ourselves. Like, oh, I have to be like a kid, and I have to rest like a kid, and I have to be innocent like a kid, and I have to play like a kid, and I have to not worry about all these things because kids just run around and never wear shirts, <laughs> right? They just, they never get cold. They're always just running around, and they're content. So we should do the same thing. But there's like, this is a tangent, but there is a somewhat of a danger when we read the Bible and we always put ourselves in the center of it. It's a very self-centric way of viewing the Bible. Instead of, what, does it, what is Jesus actually speaking to? And it's helpful to think I should rest like a kid. But we, when we put ourselves at the center of every single story, funny, we never put ourselves in the one who's like... Uh, um, using violence or as being a part of a system of violence. We never think of ourselves as the oppressor. We always, funny, see ourselves as like the innocent one and the one that is like getting helped out. We never see ourselves in the other role. But in the New Testament, like th this is what Jesus is trying to expose. Of There is this system that is not benefiting everyone and the kingdom of God comes to reorder. So what is Jesus talking about? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Is these kids? Is that he uses um, the words, Paul uses the words, that there's um, strong and there's weak. That there is um, people in a low position. So Jesus is saying, like, kids were forgotten. They didn't have a lot of value until they became a man or until they became a woman. They weren't believed. They were even somewhat even tolerated because how can they be a part of a functioning society if they're just kids? So what Jesus is saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? He's... It's the ones that you forget about. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? It's the one who we have marginalized. We just push aside. It's the people that we have um, hidden away from us because we don't want to look at them. We don't want to see them. We don't want to have their ideas spoken. We don't want to hear their truths. So who's the greatest? It's the people that you just look over every single day. Then he goes in and he says, um, and he makes this threat. Like in Matthew, like Matthew like shares Jesus has this really hard edge 
which is, I think is actually pretty interesting, right? And he says, and if you make any of these kids stumble, then it's better to take a mill-rate stone, a huge heavy stone, wrap it on your neck, throw yourself into the water, which then is aggressive, <laughs> right? And I've had this verse, I think most pastors have had this verse said back to them. They're like, well, I don't like the way you talk about that. You should get the millerite. And it's like, haha, yeah, funny. You're telling me to end my life, but, you know, that funny joke. So what is Jesus doing here? What, what's he actually getting at? Oh, yeah, he says, millerite into the stone. If your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, to rip it out. And um, better to enter the kingdom of God with blind than with that. So what is Jesus getting at? Again, answering who's the greatest, it's the least and the last. Um, and he's, then he threatened, makes a threat, essentially saying, and if you cause them to stumble, how could you make these people stumble, right? It's like this. There's this way of ordering the world that we've determined who's strong and who's weak. And if we sat down and said, all right, who's marginalized and who's strong, who's beautiful, who's successful, uh, who's holy, right? Who's like right? We'd probably, you know, have some intersection of who we might deem those people to be the best. But we're still the ones that made this system. We're the ones who made this order of to be successful is to look like this. It's to have this. To be beautiful means to look like this. To be a functioning part of society means you have to be like that. And then naturally we say, and then people who aren't, right, are hmm, forgotten about. They're just kind of left apart. And what happens when we do that is that we'll sometimes go to help people and say, well, you have to be part of the system. And what Jesus is saying is this way of being human, it's not working. This way of you've ordered the world is not helping you get a flourishing life of what you really, really want. So he's like, don't go over here and try bringing them back into the system because who's the greatest? If it's these people, if they're greatest in the kingdom of God then maybe we need to rethink about how we're being human. Maybe we need to rethink of what systems that we're uh, a part of and how we're using money, how we're using our bodies, how we're using our words, how we're using violence, how we're using our, our creativity. There's this, there's this um, way of viewing God. It's called liberation theology, and it's one of my favorite ways. Um, and it, essentially what it is is that um, as the, the people of God, as the church, as humans, the, what we're called to do is to go and bring um, liberation, right, to those who are um, maybe poor. There's a lot of different ways. But you go, and you don't just throw money at it. You don't just, like, well, we're going to uh, help bring equity. You actually go there to learn. You go there because that's where Christ lives. Christ lives with the down and out. Christ lives with the poor. Christ lives with those who are marginalized. So you don't go just to help and be like white saviorism and say, oh, we're going to help you. You go into the posture of a student because that's where you're going to see the Christ. That's where you're going to experience the Christ. That's where you're going to have this life that you've always wanted. So Jesus is saying, if, 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 you, if you participate in this kind of energy, in this order, just stop. And he says, and if you're going to sin, and what is sin? Sin means literally to miss the mark. That's, that's all it means. Of I want to have experienced this in my spirituality. I want to experience this and how I treat my body or how I treat my neighbor. And it's when we make a compromise. And, we, and he's saying, why would you want to have anything other than the best life possible? So he makes this like, whole thread of it cutting off your hands. And there's, I mean, there's, in church history, there's people who took this verse literally and like, would cut off parts of their bodies because they were afraid of the judgment that Jesus was talking about. The judgment that Jesus is talking about is not having the best life possible. That's really what the judgment comes down to. So he goes... Um, he goes from that, then he goes to um, cutting off your arm, then he goes to wandering sheep. You guys heard this parable before? 
like who wouldn't leave the 99 to go after the one? And if you go after the one and you find them and you celebrate them, this is all still under of who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And what he, then he goes from that, he goes into, and if one of your brothers um, stumbles, one of your brothers sins against you, your sisters, or, or um, one of your friends, what are you supposed to do? You go up and you say, hey, you hurt me. You're doing this. You're, you are missing out on the best life possible. And if they still don't listen to you, they're not taking you seriously, then you do what? You go get two or three people. You have the same conversation. If that doesn't work, then you go in front of the, like the leadership or the elders. And if that doesn't work, you go in front of the whole church. And if still they don't um, pivot or repent, whatever word you want to use, then you release them to have what they've always wanted. It's essentially what, what Jesus is saying. And if you think about all these parables, it feels like it's like the shotgun approach. He's talking about sheep. He's talking about millstones. He's talking about kids. And now he's talking about, like, how are we supposed to, like, confront people? And what, what Jesus is coming at many different ways is saying, who are we to be as a people? It's called ecclesiology of how we function, how we move, um, of, like, our ethos as a church. And Jesus is, like, saying, what we do is we give love always. We include, we include, and we love no matter where, no matter who, at all times, to the point of that we will, we will leave our comfort, we'll leave what we know, and we'll go after someone else. And not after, like, I'm going to get you. Like, <laughs> not like in this aggressive, like, You're, we're going to make you repent. But it's out of love. And then the way even going through at length of how do we even talk to people who they say they want this, but they're, they're settling for this. He's saying, have multiple conversations, because if my brother or my sister is hurting, so am I. So where Jesus ends, and this is where we're going to land on, where Jesus ends is Peter asks him this question. After all these things about forgiveness and about um, how, how do we uh, confront our friends if they're not living the best life possible, Peter says, all right, Jesus, if all this is true, least and last, the kids, I'm supposed to give love, and it's better to cut off my arm if I'm going to sin, I'm going to harm people, I'm supposed to do all these things, how many times do I really need to forgive my brother? Seven times? I never knew this, right? Um, of what, one way of looking at this, um, this story is Peter saying this as a joke because seven is the, um, the symbol or the sign of perfection or it, it could even be like a, this perfect loop. So it'd be a way of saying in, infinite, infinity. So you say, how many times should I forgive my brother? Like infinity times? And Jesus says, yeah, actually 77 times, all right? And he's saying, like, whatever you think you should be inclusive, whatever you think, you, how you should love, he says, like, it's infinite upon infinite. And you can't multiply infinity. You can't divide infinity. So again, it's just, who, it's the air we breathe is to extend love in all the places, even if it's unfair. <laughs> N.T. Wright, um, who's a, a, a scholar, and he said, if you have to ask the question of how many times can I forgive someone, you're not really interested about forgiving them. You're just you're asking for delayed revenge. When can I unleash on my friend? When can I post that comment? When can I have that, that my, my son Max calls it strong man. When you lift something heavy, he's like, strong man. He's like, when, when can you have the strong man conversation, right? It's not really about love. It's about justifying your violence, justifying your racism, justifying whatever it is so that you feel better. So Jesus answers this question. Imagine this with another story. Who's the greatest, right? We include, we love, this is how we move. Then he tells a story um, in Matthew 18, 21, and tells a story about this king. 
And this king is the ruler of this land, and there's this man that comes up who owes him 100 bags of um, uh, talons. And talons, it, some translations say gold. It just says, like, whatever the highest denomination is of money. What is ours? Do we have $1,000 bills? Is that a thing? I mean, I have a lot of them. <laughs> All right? It's $100, right? That's the highest amount of money, currency we have. Does anyone know? No. It is? Thank you. You're, yeah, you're our financial advisor. Thank you, Nita. <laughs> that was a test. That was a test. All right? So essentially, he was 100 bags filled with all these of, of its gold, the highest thing. It essentially could be like the national debt is what this man owes. And so um, he falls before the king. He begs for his life. And the response from the king is that he forgives all the debt. He doesn't think about it. It's not like a two-week payment system or two-year payment system. He instantly forgives them. And the word he uses, the word that Jesus uses in the Greek um, is the same word that Jesus um, says when he looks over the crowd and he weeps and he cries. It's out of compassion. It's the stirring in your gut. It is this deep love. It's not just some like, ah, you know what? Let's forgive all this debt. I'm rich enough. It wasn't like for uh, some PR stunt. It was out of genuine love for his brother. Even though the power dynamics, all of it, he still extends love like that. And when the guy is um, excited, he wants to go hit the clubs, but he needs a little walking around money. So he sees someone who owes him, um, uh, instead of it being the highest denomination, now it's the lowest. It'd be like pennies. And it's enough money, if the guy would have given him like a couple hours, he could have went and shook some couches. He could have asked around for a couple people for this money. That's how much money he owed him. And the guy goes, I don't have it. And he does the same thing. Please, please forgive me. Forgive my debt. Spare my family. And with no time, right? Time is a, an interesting part of the story. He instantly responds with judgment. It's like the air he was breathing was anger. It, it was, I want to punish someone. Throws him in jail, right? And of course, the people tell the king, king brings the guy back, calls him an evil, wicked man. All right, and then Jesus, it's like he's telling the story, and then he looks over at the crowd, and he says, and this is how my father, <laughs> this is that harsh line, this is how God, my father, will treat you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. Drop Mike. Matthew 18 is over. So, like, what is, how, how do we get from, like, we're supposed to be like little kids to God is going to torment you, <laughs> like you're in prison, unless you forgive from the heart, right? How is this exposing who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Here's a couple things. The first is this. Who we are to be is a generous people. That is who we are. Being generous is not easy. Being generous is not convenient. Being generous is not fun at first. It costs you something to extend love. It costs you something to forgive. Because forgiveness from the heart, right, versus forgiveness as an idea. Because we can use forgiveness as a weapon all the time. Like, have you, well, I shouldn't say have you. Has anyone ever said to you, like, you know, um, Jeff, I really forgave you, you know, for you being a horrible person, but, you know, I forgave you. It's a way that we can accuse judgment. It's a way that we can even, like, dismiss people as um, uh, Christ-looking people and just say, well, you know, I've got to forgive and forget. That's not, of, that's not out of love. To forgive from the heart is a supernatural act. To forgive has to be something deeper than just words. It has to be a part of, of who we are and how we are to be. N.T. Wright, again, he talked on, in the same way of this idea of, of God, quote-unquote, punishing us if we don't forgive, he um, likens it to your lungs. 
how do you have a good and beautiful life? You breathe, right? And the only way to continue to breathe is you have to take in air and you have to give air out. And if you try holding on to that, onto that air, if you try holding on to it, you are going to be punished. You're going to have consequences. It's going to hurt. And all that Jesus is saying is this punishment of how God's going to treat you being tortured is like doing it to yourself. Because when you don't move in love, it costs you. But it hurts. So um, I recently went to um, an event where um, there were, I knew there was going to be two people there who um, hurt me. They hurt me a lot. And very, how, how, do, I, how do I say this? Um, hurt and used words and actions that hurt my family. Like me, um, strong man, <laughs> right? Me, and then when it moves to my kids and my partner, um, it was really hard. And I knew that these people were going to be at this party because we, our mutual friend, we both loved. And that's what you do for people you love. You show up. And for months, I was meditating and visualizing and processing with my friends, processing with my partner, Nikki, um, and trying to think out how will I respond. And of course, being strong man, right? Like when I think, I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell them what I really think about them, right? And that feels kind of good. It does. I won't lie. It feels a little intoxicating. Like, yeah, I'm strong man. Then I think about of um, being sarcastic and making some sort of awkward joke that would make them feel uncomfortable. I usually land at that place. Right? I call that, that's like my, well, I'm not going to say that, right? Then, um, then when I visualize about like being nice to them and talking with them, and being kind, I'm like, nah, that's not as sexy as like the sarcastic joke, right? And I, um, my, my buddy Peter, he's like, Chris, just trust that when you see these people, just trust that like God's going to give you what you need to extend what you're feeling in that moment. So I'm at this party, I'm nervous, and I'm talking with one of my friends, and all, one of those people came up and just stood between me and my friend and put their hand out. And I paused. And I looked them in the eyes and looked. It was awkward because, you know, people put their hand out. You're supposed to, I mean, you don't have to, but usually right away, you, put, you, you, you shake it. And I paused and I looked at them and I had to think, do I want to be touched by this person? I'm not a big touchy guy, but especially by this person. And in that moment, I felt peace instead of rage. It felt love. Well, is that the right word? Yeah. I felt love. I felt safe. I felt... I can extend this, right? And does it cost me something? A little bit. It costs me a lot of my pride. It costs me a lot of how, what I feel like I should be able to do, what I should be able to say, right? If we want to match energy with energy, then I have a whole lot of angry energy to match. But after they walked away, I felt released from that, that, that haunting, released of that, what if we bump into each other at Super One or at Walmart? It's like, oh, I could sit down and have a conversation with this person. Why? Because it's up to me of what kind of love I want to extend. I'm in charge of that. And how would that change our relationships? If we can move, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Essentially the least and last. Really, it's everyone. When we can include, when we can love, when we can extend love and kindness and peace and generosity, that's where we get the best life possible. What would that look like for you? And the reason that a lot of us don't move in that kind of forgiveness is because it's celebrated when you don't, right? 
it's celebrated by maybe your friends or especially online when you rage tweet, when you, when you go after maybe a, a, a politician, right? It is absolutely celebrated to throw hate at other people. We can say, yep, because we don't know this politician, so we can say horrible, violent, nasty things about them. It's like, what would it look like if we showed up in love? Now, this does not mean you can't have boundaries. Right? Boundaries are good. Set healthy boundaries. But what it would look like to set up healthy boundaries rooted in love? What if like the king, what stirred out of our inside instead of it was, I'm going to set up a, a boundary with my, with my parents because they hurt me. And so now you don't get to X, Y, and Z. Maybe they did hurt you. I'm not, you didn't hurt me, mom. This is my mom right here. Just, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm letting everyone know I'm setting boundaries right now, mom, publicly. What would it look like to set up healthy boundaries that you move on a place of love? So here's my encouragement. And Sarah, you can make your way up if you'd like. My encouragement to, to you would be is first to think of who are the people, when you think about forgiveness, feel unreachable. When you think about extending, even take out the word forgiveness and put the word um, love or kind or listened to or believed. Who are the people, when you think about them engaging with them or you engaging with them, you just instantly like, pfft. And it could be a person. It could be a whole category of people. And what are you willing to try to move towards that? Secondly, what do you feel is stopping you from extending love to yourself? In my observation this, uh, uh, I was thinking about, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to build a deck. I don't know how to build a deck, but I'm going to build a deck because I want to learn how to build a deck. And why not use thousands of dollars of wood that you're going to screw up? But I really want to learn how to do it. And I found, I remember during the pandemic that I um, redid our bathroom. I didn't know how to do it. And I would yell at my, I, I was surprised. I would yell at myself. I'd say horrible things that if anyone said that to myself, I'm like, who do you think you are? And my wife actually came into the bathroom. She's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, and she's like, you got to be kinder to yourself. So my invitation, when you think about being generous with your love and extending forgiveness and kindness, I'd also include that when you stand in the mirror, how do you talk about yourself? And maybe include that love for you as you continue to give it to other people. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. So God, we love you. And I thank you that we get to be generous because you've been generous with us. And the energy that we spend is the energy you've given us. The kindness and generosity is all an extension of what you've already done for us. So I ask that you would help us to be able to move in the way of Christ that we can be a loving people, we can be a forgiving people, we can be a generous people. We, we could even just be, be kind. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would, you would empower us to be able to, to move through those obstacles of where we withhold love or we withhold kindness, we withhold beauty, we withhold words. I ask that you would empower us yeah, give us that, that, that moxie to be able to move beyond and extend in an unfair kind of love. Because we know that it's worth it. Because on the back end of that extension, in that exchange, 
There's the kingdom of God. So we love you. Amen. Thank you for the freedom that comes from releasing resentment and ego and all of that good stuff. Um, and thank you for the way that you lead us there through love. Amen.